Welcome to the Black Duck Revival Podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Wilkins. I'm excited to have you join me as I speak with a fascinating collection of folks, all of whom have in common that they've made a way for themselves by finding an intersection between thoughtful consideration and the tactile work of getting their hands dirty. This is an examination of intention, capability, and craft. It's where philosophy meets the blue-collar work ethic and where I find real value. Welcome back, folks. Uh, This week on the Black Duck Revival podcast, I'm joined by someone who's been incredibly influential in my life and the direction that it's taken, you know, in the last decade or so, Uh, but someone that you're not going to find on social media. Uh, Even back in the day, you wouldn't find this person out in clubs and bars or anything like that. This is kind of my version of uh, a hermit, right? This is the person who introduced me to hunting, who like, you know, really as an adult introduced me to fishing, you know, gave me my first instruction on a bow, gave me my first real instruction outside of like Boy Scout camp when I was a little kid on shooting, processing game, all that stuff. Like, you know, this was my mentor, right? And so it's a guy named Nate McKinney. He lives here uh, in Little Rock, Arkansas, where I reside as well. And I thought, you know, it's, it's a little bit slow as far as uh, my traveling right now. Uh, I'm here close to home, which I'm, man, I'm super grateful for because there's a million projects I need to work on and just, you know, things to do, even though I love living in a van. But man, I called Nate and I said, Hey dude, you want to come over here and let's do a podcast. And you know, it might just kind of be interesting to one talk, you know, briefly about my origin stories, but also see where, you know, some of my passion and my love for, you know, the outdoors and the natural world. And I'd be lying to you if I told you that having a, a person help guide me initially, you know, and for many years afterwards, uh, I was looking to this person as uh, as a resource of information. Like having someone who is so well-versed on so many different facets of hunting and fishing, specifically here in Arkansas, but it's applicable in many other places, but like so well-versed in this, this hyper-local place that we reside in, and also really had a knack for teaching and like giving instruction. And he, he's never going to be somebody that would like professionally be a teacher, but he's absolutely taught me an immense amount right now. He's my, uh, my wife, Marianne's taking up fly fishing. And before we recorded that podcast, he was, uh, giving her some demos on fly fishing. He's an avid bow hunter, avid fly fisherman, hell of a cook, and just, you know, an all around modern woodsman. You know, this is, I mean, he's kind of my definition of an, you know, an Arkansas everyman woodsman. So I hope you enjoy this conversation with my good and dear friend, Nate McKinney. Hey folks, and welcome back to the Black Duck Revival podcast. I'm currently sitting in my home, uh, air conditioning blazing because it's 100 degrees outside like it's been every day for a month here in Arkansas. Uh, and I'm joined by my good and longtime friend, Nate McKinney, here of uh, Little Rock, Arkansas as well. Uh, Nate is here because Nate's the guy who introduced me to hunting. You know, there's been, you know, several magazine articles and 
whatever podcasts I've done and whatnot. And there's always this question like, well, how'd you get into hunting? You know, you didn't start hunting. How did you get into hunting? And so I relate this story. I say, well, me and my buddy, we were building decks and fences. And my girlfriend at the time, who I'm now married to, moved back out to her family property in rural Arkansas. And we were building a deck out there. And this guy was just losing his mind over the quality of these woods. And he was teaching me stuff and yada, yada, yada. Then I killed the biggest deer anyone's ever seen. Uh, And... You know, 10 years later, I find myself in uh, Bozeman, Montana, uh, having f- cocktails I didn't even have to pay for. And I, I see Jocko Willink over there across the yard. And I say, how has it come to this? And it really all come to this because of deer and duck and squirrels and raccoons and eating acorns and whatnot, but all kind of precipitated in this modern age by one Nate McKinney who joins me here today uh, in the office. So Natron, as I often refer you, refer to you as, welcome to the podcast. Happy to be here. Uh, so there's, you know, you asked me yesterday, like what this, what is this podcast about? Uh, you know, the, the tagline on it, I guess they call it in the industry, man, the, in the, the copy on this is uh, join me as I speak with a fascinating collection of human beings, <laughs> uh, all of whom have made a way for themselves uh, by finding the... One way or another. Yeah, by finding the intersection of... Intersection's a hot word these days. By finding the intersection of thoughtful consideration and the tactile work of getting their hands dirty. Well, then fancy words there. Oh, man, I'll tell you what, buddy. Uh, Big-time college education I've never used. But... Yeah, man. I mean, this the podcast is really designed to just kind of be like expansive and for it to undulate and go wherever we want it to, right? And so, perhaps not in a way that has garnered much outward recognition, say, right? Like, there's not there's not a ton of people outside of your circle of influence who might know who Nate McKinney is, right? Uh, I think that you very much have done that, right? Yeah. In, in a in a different way, yeah. In a different way than me, you're, you're very kind of uh, counterculture, right? So, uh, I mean, you've basically spent your whole life in Arkansas, here, right? You're mm-hmm. what are we fishing at? and hunting everywhere I could. You're a mid aged man, right? Forty four. Forty four. God, dang it, man. Uh, Am I past mid aged yet? <laughs> Dude, Is that just depending on who you ask? I don't know, man. That gray in your beard, tell, I think you're solidly mid aged, man. And geriatrics, I crappie fish with, call me a kid. Live till you're 105. <laughs> like, what's that dude's name? That old man that lives up there, Devolve. John. Wolf? Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. I'm trying to say his whole name. You should have just said his last name. Wait, 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 wait. Is his name John? Mm hmm. Dude, you know that's a you know that's a character. <laughs> yeah, that's a character on a, a big time a show on the HBO. Anyway, so yeah, so you basically you grew up here. Uh, grandparents very influential in your hunting and fishing. Uh, mm-hmm. Your dad was a big time bass fisherman recreationally, but uh, so you you had like a strong introduction to like fishing. And, like, growing a garden and stuff as a kid and as a young man, right? But instead of going into that whole thing, let's talk about when you discovered bow hunting, right? Because you you kind of, like, thrust yourself into bow hunting. Mm-hmm. And then I, I think in a very admirable way, 
you know, you, you, you languished in the purgatory. <laughs> took of, me nine <laughs> years to kill it, dude. Yeah, of learning. I mean, and so we're talking about what time period? Early 2000s? Yeah. Late 90s. I don't remember exactly when so, I So, I mean, bow hunting bow, is definitely like a, a big thing, but it still didn't have uh, the visibility that it has now because of, like, the advent of social media, right? Yeah. Where I grew up, I actually grew up in Fort Smith, and the, there's a there's a old military base adjacent to town, you know, very close. It's called Fort Chaffee, and the Game and Fish manages it, the the unused portions of it for hunting and fishing. And the having such a large area that was at that time bow hunting only kind of fostered a a, a larger bow hunting industry there in Fort Smith than you would find in other places. When I was All right, well freeze frame real quick cuz some people might not understand this. So there Arkansas, we live in the state of Arkansas, right? Arkansas Game and Fish is who Nate's referring to. And they have either through what would be termed as like a WMA, which is a wildlife management area or uh, properties owned by other entities that they manage. So that would be they like a partnerships with several different groups. Nature like, Conservancy, yeah. uh Arkansas Heritage Commission, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, other large landowners. They they lease some land. Mm-hmm. We have several lease lands available, but there's a bunch of different partnerships to gain access to to huntable to land. huntable ground. And in some of those places, like and I'll even reference. I'm not even gonna. You know what? I'm gonna play by the rules. I'm not gonna say the name of any place, but the that first chunk of public land we went. Yeah. yeah remember? Yeah. You were up above me. Yeah. 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 Uh, like that's a natural heritage commission property but so a lot of these uh these land entities will have a a bow hunting only restriction on them which drastically cuts down on the amount of use because the the vast majority of deer hunters are going to be modern gun hunters and and what it can kind of uh develop is a a very intensely bow centric kind of hunting Mm -hmm. culture in that area that's that's what happened there with with the the large area of use, like here in Little Rock currently, we have really in the metro area one major bow shop that I know of, full service bow shop. Yeah, Archer's Advantage. Yeah, and that's in a you know a metro area of eight hundred thousand plus. Fort Smith has seventy eighty thousand people, and in two thousand there were three major full service bow shops in town. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that for me that the my my. I, I was always kind of enamored with the romance of bow hunting, you know, growing up, I always liked shooting a bow and that kind of stuff, but never, never, never did it seriously. And then when I decided that I wanted to kill a deer, you know, I, I, I started eating deer that my friends had killed and I hunted a little bit with my grandpa and I, you know, just, okay, this is something I'm going to do. I want to do this. Bow hunting was the the most that gave me my most opportunities with with that land right there 15 minutes from my house longer about five months of huntable season yeah, in Arkansas. Long, yeah and at that time at that time our rifle season wasn't near what it is now there were way stronger restrictions to rifle hunting 20 25 years ago than there is right now and so with not knowing what I was doing, being a complete novice, not really having much of a teacher, that was a way I could go buy a bow, I could get set up, and I could take myself out there and go hunting whenever 
I had time to whenever mm. it was available. And so that's how it, that's what really kicked me into the bow hunting realm. And then, you know, just, it kept on going. I made every, every mistake you can possibly think of. I, I never was, I could always find deer. Oh, I struggled to kill deer. And, but kept on going, learned more and more, and eventually had that, that one time that everything went like it was supposed to. I came home with the deer meat in the back of the truck. It's been a addiction since then. Feeling good, right? You said nine years? Yeah, nine years. I missed, I don't know, at least a dozen different deer. Blue chances, just every yeah. different way you can think of to blow a chance at a deer. I did it at one point or another. Man, you really have to, you have to learn what you can get away with. I think yeah. a lot of hunting that, is, that, was is the, that. And without, particularly in my case, you know, I mean, I'll just, I'm just going. My, my dad didn't hunt. I had some buddies that hunted, but their dads weren't really kosher with taking an extra kid along with them. So I was, I could ask every now and then for a piece of information. I could read magazines and watch videos and all of that, but I was pretty well on my own to figure it all out. Not you were hunting public land. Yeah. And now, like I said, I, there are many times I had deer. I, I think back on stories now that if, if the today me gets the same opportunities, you know, there's, yeah. it's, it, there's very little questions in what's fixing to happen. But back then, I just didn't know what to do, and I'd blow, <laughs> blow my chance doing doing it wrong. Man, yeah, if dude, really to think about it, there's so much stuff. I mean, did you even know when you started? Did you know to, like, hunt the wind? Yeah, you know, to a certain degree. I knew about scent elimination, and I, I used the sprays. Yeah, you were real big into all that. All that stuff. Like, I mean, when did – what year is it? So, it's 2022 – so what? We've known each other like 12 or 13 years, right? Yeah, it was 2008, I think. Uh, maybe not. No, that might be too early. When did you come back to Little Rock? It's 2007, late in 2007. When I come to Little Rock. Was it that long, dog? Yeah, I thought about it not too long ago. I, I had the same reaction. Oh, shit, man. Uh, yeah, so then that's, you know, we met at the bar. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, hell, you've seen Marianne grow up <laughs> over 15 years. Uh But so, yeah, you, I just remember back then you were real big on like the scent elimination, and there was like that scent lock stuff. And I think it just culturally everybody was. I never much could more afford in. the high end stuff. No, you had some scent lock. Did you you gave you like I got some hand me down stuff from you that I just gave to someone last year, dude. Some all stretched out that <laughs> thick black scent lock like yep. base layers. Yep. Uh, but yeah, it was a lot of. You know, I remember you gave me like a mass of. Like the old real tree and mossy oak, like DVDs, right? So those, mm -hmm. like mossy oak, real tree, uh, primos, primos guys. they would all put out like about September in all the WalMarts, right? They'd have like little end cap, and you could get, you know, it'd be, it, you know, it'd say something like 117 minutes I bet of deer I've hunting seen every action. Every single one of them. I haven't watched one in years, uh, and back then even it was decidedly lower. Uh, production levels than they oh, have yeah. now, right? Yeah. Like, it was pretty... Yeah. And it was behind the times, even. There's some pretty phenomenal videography going on in outdoor shows these days. Mm-hmm. Well, there's been that kind of democratization of equipment, right? Yeah. Like, I'm not saying... I mean, 5G's is still 5G's, right? But, like, <laughs> you know? 
There's it's lots not of, the fifty you would yeah. spend to get professional quality gear. You know, years you know, ago. Nate. There's actually there's lots of people that have like five thousand dollars <laughs> in the bank, and they just like buy whatever they want with it. You know, I wish I was one of them. Uh, shit, no, you don't, because you'd be doing something else. Uh, but yeah, so like, so that was kind of so we're like we meet at the bar, we're hanging out. Uh, that's what, man. Yeah, so like that first job we worked on, that hell hole out there in West Little Rock, the, the brick paver. Yeah, we had to rip it up twice to <laughs> but so yeah we did this anyway we start building some fences doing some work together we did this off and on for years and years uh but we're out there in alexander arkansas where marianne grew up and her grandmother's died and i've helped her like clean up this single wide trailer and excuse me she's got she's got a couple of uh a couple of extra dollars and so she's like she like threw us some work and we're building a deck on her trailer, right? And man, it's it's actually interesting because if I think back to that, so that would have been happening about this time of the year, right? Yep. Summer. It'd be As summer. summer's turning towards fall. Yeah, so it's probably like August. All right? my conversations start turning towards yeah, and what we're I'm like, fixing to go chase. And this chunk of, it's like 15 acres and it's surrounded by like fairly uninhabited, big chunk. I mean, if you go all the way back behind it, man, like damn near a thousand acres are like, Gorgeous, big. Yeah, like hasn't oaks. been that stuff hasn't been cut in a hundred and something years, right? Like they're not they're not full grown, but they are large. It's beautiful woods. Yeah, man, you can like see it's gotten big enough. There's a yep. canopy, so the bottom doesn't get totally covered in gunch. Uh, but I just had never been. I'd never been a, anyway. I end up living in this trailer, uh, but I'd never been in a place where like you there's a deer in your driveway or like squirrels aren't habituated. Squirrels to going people. everywhere. Yeah, you remember we went squirrel hunting, and I was like, dude, squirrels are, be, they'll come right up to you. And you're like, no, nah, man, not. That's not how it <laughs> That's not how here. squirrels in the woods are, dude. But, yeah, so then we just kind of, like, entered this very quick, kind of intense, like, you know, this is what, I just remember, I remember very distinctly, like, I'd never seen Greenbrier before, right? And being like, you can tell a deer bit this off, because it's on that 45-degree bias, you know, if you look at a deer's teeth. The way they cut stuff off when they're browsing, all their nip marks are going to have that like 45 uh, degree bias on Greenbrier, whatever they're browsing on. And there was just, I just had like time, opportunity. Uh, we went down there to, what's that place in North Little Rock? Used to be there. Gander Mountain. Gander Mountain. Talked to Horace. You remember Horace? Barely, but yeah. Horace was the guy that sold us the bow. We went there and like got like a whole little bow set up. Yep. Uh, and this dude looked like Hagrid from Harry Potter, and you know he I, he was telling us these like these stories of his hunting exploits. It's like, buddy, you're gonna have you're having a hard time getting up in a tree stand. You're not doing. <laughs> you're acting like you're swinging around from the vines. But anyway, Horace set us up. You know, I'm still hunting with that same bow. Good. Uh, killed a bear and two turkeys with it this year. It's it's done well, man. Good $400 investment. But so, yeah, man, like Nate introduced me to squirrel hunting, to uh, deer hunting. Uh, someone else kind of introduced me that first year or so uh, into duck hunting. Mm -hmm. And now we're, yeah, like 12, 13 years later. Uh my life has taken a decidedly different turn. Living the dream. I had, I had those. Making a living in the fishing and hunting industry. I still had long hair when we met, didn't I? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, yeah, Nate's known me long enough to when I had, like, just three big dreadlocks uh, and was just playing rock and roll mostly. Uh, and, yeah, now whatever it is that I do. I'm, I'm now doing. you're more likely to find him out neck deep in Bayou de View somewhere. Well, shit, don't tell him where, man. I'm trying to I – didn't, I didn't tell him where we went bow hunting out. Uh, nah, sorry, sorry, <laughs> sorry. You can edit uh, that out. Sax, edit you, that you, out, playboy. You, you can bleep that. No, it's fine. Bayou de View is a very long body of water. Uh, Bayou Bartholomew, which is – we've gone way down south, down in Bayou Bartholomew, which like five minutes from Louisiana. Portland, Arkansas. Catching crappie. Massive crappie. Uh, but it was like you, we weren't – we didn't catch near as many as we would up here, but all of them were big. Huge. This is – The was, most well-fed fish I've ever seen. Well, and you know, if you think about it, it's kind of at the bottom of that watershed, and Bayou Bartholomew is the longest bayou on the planet. Mm -hmm. uh, really pretty stuff. I was working in the headwaters of Bayou Bartholomew just last week. Where are the headwaters at? Pine Bluff. Oh, right really? Right on the south end of Pine Bluff. So it's not even that terribly long. I no, mean, it hundreds. It, oh. it winds. It does, and it makes big old giant loops. If you could see my fingers in the air right now, it 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 makes very large winds back and forth all the way through South Arkansas. Yeah, like old Mima's varicose veins. Man. Like to to make to make a a five mile run to the south, it covers fifteen twenty miles of river miles. So, uh, I mean, I'd say that I'm I'm probably deeper in at this point. I'm deeper in waterfowl than you are. But what is your I mean, these days, do you cons primarily consider yourself to be a, a bow hunter for whitetail? Or no, I've I've, I've kind of gotten into the rut. I haven't gone very much for the last few years. I, you know, I still I still rifle hunt and I still put a deer or two in the freezer every year. But the last two years, I've swore up and down I was gonna make a serious effort at bow hunting again. I miss it, but the the heat's kind of run me off in the early season. When I was a younger man, the heat didn't really bother me. I'd bow hunt when it was 92 degrees and not worry about it at all. I won't even consider going if it's, you know, even 65 anymore. I pretty well – I want it cold when I'm deer hunting. That's kind of stolen some of my thunder a little bit. It gives bit. you options. <clears throat> you know, like killing something when it's 90-something degrees, man, is everything's got to go right. you got to find that critter yeah. quick. And the – I've I've talked about it a little bit with some of my hunting buddies. I I've, I've been real slow to the the party in in taking up ground blinds and especially for bow hunting because I never really thought it would work that well. But a couple of years ago, I bought a ground blind and started using it. I've had great success with my ground blind, even on public ground. The, Deer don't seem to be bothered by it at all. What does it so, do to the experience, though? Because I've been very anti-ground so, blind because it seems so claustrophobic. It's uh, that that part really hasn't bothered me at all. I, you know, I got one's pretty good size, but the I don't know. Like I, said, I never thought I'd like it either. But the the past two years of rifle hunting with it, I've decided I like it quite a bit and making the seeing what i've seen this far i believe you can bow hunt out of it even on public ground without much problem so i may i may do some of that this year all right let me ask you this question 
are is part of this because you're less willing to climb up in a tree than you used to be? Yes. Well, it's it's not so much the the physicality of it. The I'm old and out of shape, but I can still climb a tree just fine. Sure. By the time I throw the climber on my back, throw my backpack on my chest, grab my bow, walk half a mile to a tree, and then climb my big booty up in that tree, I'm just drenched with sweat. I'm yeah. soaking wet, sweat pouring off my nose down the side of the tree, everything else. And if you don't have confidence in what you're doing, you might as well not be there. And by the time I've stunk up a square half mile of woods, I don't have much confidence in what I'm doing. And so that that's that's – Bow hunting has always been the my favorite thing early season, and now early season bow hunting, I just don't enjoy it very much. So I'm, I'm not I'm not out of it. I still shoot my bow. I shot it not too long ago. I still feel like I could kill a deer with it, but my my get up, my gumption to go is not nearly what it once was. Yeah, I mean I get it, dude. It's a it's an exercise in endurance, and, for sure. and part of it is too. I have access to private ground now that I never had access to in the past. And it kind of makes things a whole lot easier. Private ground's a totally different I mean, game. You know, it, there's, we've even quit baiting them. We don't even put out corn anymore, but you still, you know, you go out there if you're willing to sit a little while, well, you're probably going to shoot a deer, put it in the freezer. What's your, what's your thought on that, man? Because I moved, I moved away from uh, baiting deer like after that first year. You know, I killed that second doe I killed, I killed over some apples. Mm-hmm. And man, I might be incorrect, but I don't think I killed another deer that was coming in a bait until last year down in those Senderos in Texas. Because mm-hmm. I kind of wanted to just reanalyze how I felt about it. And I didn't feel like I was doing anything wrong, but I. D- I didn't feel near the sense of accomplishment. Like, I just felt like I went grocery shopping. Yeah. You're harvesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean. Which is still better than buying buying Walmart beef, you know. But it's not, you know, you're not stalking anything. You're not outwitting anything. You're you're harvesting an animal for your table. Yeah. And that's awesome, like you said. And that's kind of where I fall on the the baiting. I mean, you know, where it's illegal. Obviously, you don't need to be baiting. I don't. I don't want anybody doing anything immoral, illegal. But the, the there's places a lot of you know South Arkansas. We've got these you know pine clear cuts that turn into replanted pine thickets. Well, if if your lease is miles been, and miles and yeah, miles. If of if your lease has been clear cut and then turned back into a pine thicket, one you're lucky if you can cut lanes into it if they'll allow that. And two, what are you gonna? How are you going to get them to a spot? They're not feeding on anything in there. You, if you want to hunt deer in there, well, you're going to have to put a little food out for them. Yeah, it's it's really probably a bigger conversation than we even have time for on this uh, podcast. But it's it's a uh, well. Here's here's like really the truth of it. Most people that hunt are not going the people that you know about that hunt right so this is like the people that hunt that had any sort of a social media presence or you know more traditional media presence or anything right they're like the the one percent of hunters right that actually get to hunt that much 
that it isn't just a purely or mm-hmm. almost almost uh, purely recreational activity. Excuse me. So I've been I'm hanging out with Nate. I've been drinking daytime beers. I got a couple little burps. Uh, but I mean, shit, dude. Like I'm I'm probably dipping my toe in that. You know, like I get to hunt a lot more than most people do, right? Uh, I don't know, man. Like it's, it's not the way I want to hunt and I would, I'd be being disingenuous if I didn't say that. Like, I think the way that I do things is better than the way other people do things. That's why I do them the way I do them. Right. Like everyone feels that way. Everybody has their, their take on it. But you know, some cat that he gets three weekends a year. And like we're talking about deer, like white-tailed deer in Arkansas that absolutely need to be managed with hunters, right? Consumptive use management uh, that will like keep your insurance bill lower. It will prevent accidents from happening. It will prevent crop depredation. Uh, And people are interacting with the natural world on a level that most of their life they're extirpated from, right? Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I have a hard time saying that, like, you're doing something wrong. That's where I'm at. You know? It, if you enjoy it, I mean, you're not you're not breaking any laws. You're not harming anybody else's good time. Have at it. I mean, the CWD conversation brings a real added dimension to it. And I, it's it's hard to have – it's hard to have that conversation without, without looking at, uh, you know, some of the carryover from taking an animal that's – not really designed to be herd feeding in that way. Uh, you know, that's something weird too, man. I, I feel like it's so odd to have been hunting long enough that I can talk about like shifts in the, the public zeitgeist or trends or whatever. But, you know, this idea of a hunter as a conservationist, that's absolutely been a narrative that's been there from kind of the beginning of the Mm -hmm. North American wildlife model. But I feel like in the last five to seven years, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't as much of a talking point for like the average American hunter. Uh, I think they didn't feel culturally, they didn't feel the need to maybe defend themselves as much. And it's, it's, it's also odd to come into an enterprise and as my involvement in it increases, like the national public interaction with it is like drastically decreasing. Like I think hunters, people that identify as hunters in America are like at four percent now. That's pretty low, dude. I mean that's yeah. that's pretty low. I mean you're getting to if you really think about that, it's hard for me sometimes to realize that because my life is so hunting centric in a lot of ways. But I mean you're talking about. Some of the most some of the most marginalized groups of people in the United States, right? Uh, Yeah, it's people that need to hunt to keep the freezer full over the course of the year. Oh well, I mean, there's plenty of that. If you're but if you're dealing with that, you're dealing with a even a smaller subset. You know, like I'm really I was thinking about this today, man, driving back with the kids. Like we're at the point where we do not have to buy animal protein from a store and we can have a variety, right? We can have like 
red meat from birds. We can have white meat from birds. We can have elk, whitetail, black bear, feral hog, uh, any any amount of fish. Fish, yeah. Tons of fish, right? Uh, got a garden outside, right? Like, And I'll be the first one to admit, man, it's not the greatest garden we've ever had. But, like, cucumbers pouring out of it. Right. Everybody's cucumbers blowing up this dude, year. I cucumber, guess they love it hot and dry. Cucumbers are doing great, man. Dude, it's a hot, dry. I year. mean, it's bad. I was talking to my homie about on the way down here about a about like what the bear hunt's going to be like this year, because the bear hunt is so so influenced by the white oak drop, mm-hmm. right? And so, like in Arkansas, you can bait for bears. They set a quota. It's like around about five hundred a year. Didn't even get close to the quota last year. I mean, like, fell significantly short of the quota last year. Really? Yeah, because the white oaks were dropping. Dude, you can put every donut you want out. As soon as white oak acorns start dropping, those bears, they are genetically predisposed to eat those white oak acorns. And they will vanish from a bait site. And so, you know, the majority of bears in Arkansas are going to be uh, taken up in North Arkansas in the Ozarks, which is largely privately held, which is why it's baited so heavily. They never even got close to it. But this year, you know, they moved up the, the Bear Harbor State by a whole week, so it doesn't coincide with deer season. It starts a week before that. So, I mean, you're talking about, like, September 15th, though. Yeah. You're talking about hot, miserable. When I've decided I just don't want to get it after it anymore. Dude, I think I'm giving it a week. I think I'm going to go out there without getting too deep into where I'm going and all that. I think all the water, I think there's not going to be any water up high. Like the forest service ponds, mm-hmm. the seeps are going to be mm-hmm. bone dry. There is water down in the very bottom of that holler, right? That runs for about five miles long. I think my plan is to get down in there a day and a half before season starts. Like do a little slipping camp. Find a place to camp down there. I mean, really, I mean, okay, here's a demonstration of how far I've come since you were <laughs> you were like, this is what it, you remember when I was talking about, I thought there were all these deer that lived on like five acres, and you're like, you're thinking about this too small, man. I was like, is that a deer bed? Is that a deer bed? But no, so here's my idea. You get down there in the bottom, right? This chunk, of, I'm really trying to be careful that I don't want anyone to know what I'm talking about, but imagine a. Imagine some butt cheeks, right? And in the crack, right? Down there in the bottom of that crack, right? Is where I'm talking about getting down in. So all the water on the top of the butt cheeks. That was a bad metaphor, J-Dub. No, you know exactly what I'm talking about, though, don't you? <laughs> yeah. All the, all the water on the top is going to dry it up. The water is going to be down there at the bottom. Mm-hmm. That's also going to be the water. That's also going to be where there's been water and the plants along there exactly have right. a chance to have a mass crop, right? Yep. But those thermals down, so the thermals at the top are different than the thermals at the bottom, which makes it so difficult to get down in there without the wind switching on you. But to my mind, you get in there a day before, right? So you do a little scouting, take your time. Once you get down to the bottom, the thermals are going to follow the the flow of the water, right? It's going to pull them that way, right? So you wide walk all the way to the base, as far down as you can get to the bottom of it, downstream, right? That's where you set your camp up. And then what you do is you hunt your way up every day, working against the thermals, right? That seems to me to be like the best 
best course of attack. But, man, I mean, it'll be a little cooler down there in the bottom, but. You better find you a pool you can marinate in for the afternoon. Some uh, <laughs> some baby powder. All, all it's got to be is, you know, belly button deep. You can sink down up to your neck and just chill you, for a you while. You can do a lot with wet wipes and uh, unscented baby powder, man. That's that's kind of the thing about really exposing yourself to the elements is any bit of relief uh, is extended, right? It's like while well, you see these like crop fields, especially in the Midwest, just bare crop fields, and then there's like this one giant tree in the middle. Like you worked your way all day, all morning long, you worked your way <laughs> to that tree because that's where you had some shade. That's where you could rest with a little peace. Yeah, they, you know, whatever. Way back in the day, that's when – the lady of the farm like rode the mule out and gave you an old metal pail, <laughs> cold milk and <laughs> some cornbread. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, man. So I'd actually be interested in hearing. You know, I'm hesitant to give you too much credit for anything, right? But like, you absolutely, <laughs> absolutely introduced me into this. Uh, you introduced me to something that there was a decided, like, uh, pivot, right, in my life course, right? Hmm. So, yeah, man, I'd kind of be interested to hear just uh, what, in the first place, like, what made you, uh, what made you want to engage and be like, man, I'm going to show this guy, you know, like, like, we went to the bow shop together to get a bow, right? Like, yeah. for years most of the information I was garnering was coming from you, right? So you have like a pretty deep, I'd say like for a public intelligentsia kind of woodsman in Arkansas, like I would put you at the upper reaches of that, right? You know, like a ton about the flora and fauna, uh, the different different geographical regions, you know, different bodies of water. I mean, we're talking about deep knowledge of fish. I'd say fishing probably deeper knowledge That's, than anything, right? Yeah, I'm I've fished a whole lot of places in Arkansas. And for a I, long time, since yeah, you were very, very small. I, I, I mean, honest to goodness, some of my first memories are, are fishing. I, I remember fishing when I was three and four years old. I got, I've been doing it a long time. I've had family that's lived all over Arkansas. and the, I, there's, I haven't fished every piece of water in Arkansas, but, man, I've fished a lot of them, corner to corner. Uh, how many generations deep in Arkansas are you? Do you know? Oh, I'm going to say five. Yeah, it's pretty pretty deep, man. I don't know exactly. I know both sides came to Arkansas about the same time, mid-1800s, something like okay. that. But as far as giving dates, I know from my dad's side, now actually I think from both sides, they come from the Georgia area, from around in there. Okay. But that's, I mean – that what I've just said is the extent of my knowledge on very typical Arkansas goes. story. Like people coming in early to mid 1800s from someplace else. Yeah. Uh, a come, lot of from other Southern places come to cut timber farm and raise cattle. Yeah. Get I mean, lots of people getting away from debt or, I mean, this was kind of like the end of the South, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's really why people constantly want They're like, what's the Arkansas food? When you pass Fort Smith, they called it the Badlands. Yeah, and you uh, are you willing to expose your your uh, 
hostilities towards the people of <laughs> <laughs> across the border I'll be, in Oklahoma. I'll be good on your podcast, J-Dub. I'll be good. <laughs> yeah. So Nate grew up in Fort Smith, which is – how far is Fort Smith from the border? It's on. It's So it, if you – Literally. You keep walking through Fort Smith, you'll cross in Oklahoma. My house was three, 400 yards from the line. Maybe a little more than that, but – not a whole lot. Decidedly different culturally. Like as soon oh, as yeah. you get across the that state line, very different culturally. You're yeah. just gonna make me, aren't you? No, I'm no, trying no. to be good. No, no. Well, and I would me. I would say this, man. Like I would say that Fort Smith is decidedly different culturally. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, from even just There's like the reason here. I'm not there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fort Smith, man. Uh, but like played prominently in True Grit, mm-hmm. right? And the Badlands, like historically, have been a place that people have gone. Uh, if you've ever driven through there, you completely understand why. It's Beautiful, but kind of like barren. Yeah. You can't imagine living there. Hard living, man. Yeah. Hard living. Uh, but, yeah, so anyway, what – I mean, was this like sport? What were, Was it just like my interest? What made you want to invest time in teaching me stuff? Uh, <clears throat> you know, like the the truth of it is probably like just about – Every other fisherman and hunter out there is you you always need good fishing and hunting buddies it's it's a lot of this stuff ain't as much fun by yourself, and so you know probably cultivating another fishing and hunting buddy was the biggest thing. I seem to have a a, a natural proclivity to teaching people about this stuff i seem yeah to I'd enjoy say so it. very much i i, I always like sharing my acquired knowledge with folks and the i mean it paid off now i got a a fishing and hunting buddy that's in the industry yeah it, it wasn't a long-term plan don't get don't get me wrong <laughs> yeah <but> man <laughs> no this just, guy's going to the major leagues <laughs> it's like that guy that found tyson when he was 13 yeah i'm, I'm just waiting for that big payoff in the end uh, no I'd, I'd like to find it <laughs> as well yeah no it's just you know I I don't know I I love this stuff and I love sharing it so I guess that's that'd be the simplest way to say it. How much of your inspiration is for any of this lifestyle is because of food? Oh, I'd say that's real strong. If if you look at the 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 critters I most ardently chase and am the most serious about putting meat in my freezer, it's the ones that taste good. It's the most delicious ones. Mm, I don't know, man. I mean, you're what? Deer, ducks? Deer and ducks and crappie and catfish. I bass fish for fun, but. Yeah, I think, I, 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 I don't think crappie are the best tasting fish. Uh, I mean. You don't think a brim, you don't think a brim tastes better than a crappie? I mean. If you could one, catch brim, one if a, you could catch brim that were as big as a good sized crappie, would you catch crappie okay, or brim? That, I'd probably lean towards brim, but of course, that's those giant brim are hard to find. The little ones taste better than crappie. Yeah, but the little ones are next to impossible to clean. The, the I clean them all the time here, man. That's just pure <laughs> laziness, dude. Well, people like those crappie. I'm so this is my theory on it, man. People like crappie for the same reason they like backstraps, because it's easy, man. I'm not saying it's necessary. I mean, it's delicious too. I mean, it's unobtrusive, man. It's just plain white meat. It's good. I, mean, I I'll, like I'll, it. I'll give you that. I think I'll brim brim are buttery. They have a catfish have, you know, a je ne sais quoi, like just a, <laughs> that little something. Yeah, man. 
And crappie just kind of – I like them. If you fried up a bunch of crappie, I, I, I would eat I, them. I wouldn't argue with what you said. Yeah. I, don't, I won't say I agree 100%, but also you're not wrong. Yeah, dude, I, I saw some uh, – I was in Memphis at my buddy Thomas's. You remember Thomas? He had an art show at the Metal Museum up in Memphis, and I took the girls up to it. And then we went to – that. I'd never been in the pyramid, that Bass yeah. Pyramid. And it's – Will make you lose faith in humanity, man. I mean, oh yeah, it's like going to the state fair in Arkansas, you know, like yeah. uh, just rough. And but yeah, that <laughs> that type comes from all over the country to go to that Bass Pro Show. Hey, man, you know what? That is that's you're, a you're positive get, spin on it. You're getting Indiana, Ohio, <laughs> Western Pennsylvania, anybody coming down forty, Southern man. Illinois. I yeah. mean, you, you know, and and. All the, you know, Mississippi, Alabama, you're getting them all. You could have built a dam across the Mississippi with the cargo shorts in there, though. <laughs> I'm telling you. But they had, you know, they got these, they got fish everywhere. I've never been able to make myself go there. I'm, 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 I'm proud of you. I didn't, man, I couldn't get through the whole thing. I hate our local Bass Pro Shops bad enough. I pretty well despise that place and never stepped foot in it. Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's just a big box store, right? But, like, we went in there, I let the girls pick out. I justified buying diaphragm calls. I was like, I'll let the girls oh, pick them out, right? Yeah. So they picked some out, uh, and we looked at the fish, and they got all sorts of stuff. But, man, they got those, like, big mutated brim in there, like two-pound brim. Big old copper nose. Just yeah. big shoulders look like yeah. Debo in oh, there. Yeah. Love uh, to find a mess of them. Dude, I was thinking, I was like, man, that would be – I mean, you know, you'd be getting inch-thick fillets off a of brim. They had ducks in there, too, and the ducks bummed me out. They just looked – like they had, they had a pintail in there, just like, you know, sitting right there by the walkway, man, just head covered up, just want to be left alone. Everybody taking pictures of it. I'm not, I'm not coming at Bass Pro necessarily, but it, it was just, you know, it's like a zoo. Like we were talking about mm-hmm. going to the zoo, and you see it, you see this majestic lowland gorilla, and he's behind bars, and it looks depressed as he possibly can. And it's odd to think about the fact that. You know, you would think that the worst thing you could do to a sentient being is killing it. But I actually think the worst thing you could do. Caging it? Yes. Absolutely. I mean, animal, person, anything, Absolutely. Uh, I mean, that's part of the whole thing with – I think that – I don't want to say it's part of the impetus, but I think one of the benefits of a lifestyle where you're providing, you know, animal protein for yourself and your family by hunting – is that there is there's efficacy in the efficacy, right, <laughs> of taking those animals. Uh, and I think like a good, ardent, moral hunter is trying to impart as quick and as rapid and as painless a demise as possible. With the understanding, man, that, you know, stuff goes wrong, right? Yep. But you can really minimize that, I think, uh, with the, all the all the cliches, right? Knowing yeah. your equipment, yeah, and and ju- and just being prepared. But I th- I think there's I made a lot of mistakes early that still bother me, and they've affected mm-hmm. and uh, influenced the way that I hunt now, right? Uh, anyway, hey man, you wanna you wanna tell the uh, Bruce story? Yeah, Bruce is the, a good story. The TV man. deer. 
yeah. So I've actually got the video of that, like some really crummy, grainy video of that still. Yeah. And I watched it maybe like six months ago. and That would be interesting. You want to be depressed, Nate? Look at what we looked like in 2010. Oh, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I saw a picture not too long ago. It was me and Wes. But, yeah, it was from a while back. Dude. Yeah. Yeah, man. Looking, <laughs> looking young, man. Looking young. Mickey's there. My favorite part of the whole video is Mickey's off camera. And when Marianne's standing there, and she had found – she had found the deer, right? And I, but when she called, it sounded like she was in distress. So I'm like, I'm like running up real hardcore, and you just see me like jumping over these logs, come up, and uh, then she's like, I think you're looking for that over there. And I like run over there, and I'm like, oh, and I go, Nate, 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 and then you hear Mickey come up, and he goes, Holy shit! <laughs> Oh, snaps. We just, <laughs> we just dropped all the entire podcast. Uh, one moment here. Yeah, so story of Bruce. I've got a deer on my wall in here. It's the first deer I killed. Uh, killed in 2010. And mm-hmm. we call it Bruce Springsteen because I, I, he was the boss. He was the boss of the woods, right? Turns yeah. out he wasn't. But no, no, no. But he was, I mean, he was a good deer. Hey, uh, right? Fantastic. Deer. Right at 140 inches. No. Yeah, no, he no, was. No. no, he wasn't. That deer, that's a 127-inch deer, man. Are you sure? Yeah. I'd like to lie and tell you that it was bigger. I thought we – you has, and I measured it, and in my mind it was like 138 and three-quarters or something. I mean, maybe I'm remembering this wrong. I mean, because we measured it yeah. with whatever knowledge we had in 2010 yeah. that day. But, uh, I mean, I could probably take it up to Newcomb or something, and yeah. he's, a, oh, he's yeah. a certified scorer. Yeah. But it's just like – it's cool because it's like – it's brow tine palmates out and curls. It's, it's very. Oh, he's a stud. He's a uh, he's no just doubt an about odd it. Looking he's a stud, man. Dear. Uh, but anyway, yeah. Uh, tell the story. So, like he was saying earlier, you know, we we spend the summer working together. We're we're out there on this property that's got beautiful woods all the way around it. And I'm sure at some point, the you know, the, I'm watching squirrels, and we get started talking. And the next morning, I bring my 22 out there, and we shoot a couple squirrels and have them for lunch, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then – No, you know what? We went to we went to Watson yeah, the first well, time. We, we kept on, you know, the I, – I, in my personal opinion, what what really, aside from my push, what pushed Jonathan down this path was the – being able to reach into the freezer and grab something that he had procured and cook it for dinner and feed his wife, feed his family – with meat from the freezer. We'd gone on a fishing trip, put, you know, six or eight bags of fresh fillets in the freezer. We'd kill a few squirrels, put that meat in the freezer. And the, that's, that's, that's what I think it was. But anyway, that, that lit the fire and, you know, squirrel season starts in September. I am making, you know, I'm filling up feeders at deer camp. We're talking about all this stuff at work. We see deer there on the property and, he wants to he wants to make that step now. So as we said, we, we go to the bow shop, we get him all set up, get him a bow that fits, and he just I mean, he just kinda naturally took to it. The I mean he was hitting he's putting three arrows on the pie plate at twenty yards three hours after we started and it just got better from there. And then the lucky bastard owned a bow for twenty two days and kills a monster buck. And it's a was it a Saturday morning, I guess? One of, one yeah, of my yeah, buddies yeah. was getting married here in Little Rock, so I wasn't hunting with him. I was 
in town, but not terribly far away. <clears throat> thirty, probably thirty minute drive. Yeah, right? something like that. And I'm this wedding venue is not very far at all from my sister and brother in law's house. So I'm over there just hanging out, you know, killing time till it's time to go do the wedding. And my phone rings. I pick it up and I got a text message talking about something. I, w- I don't remember what it said, but he's talking about TV deer. I just killed a TV deer. And about the time I picked it up and started to answer the text, it rings and it's Jonathan. And he's hollering about, dude, I just killed a, I, 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 I just killed a TV deer, man. No kidding. He's huge. <laughs> all right. All right. So we talk and he, it, it, you know, he, he, when we first talked on the phone, he hadn't found it yet. I still had a couple of hours before I had to be in this wedding. So I'm like, all right, I'll be there in a minute. And we go and we tracked him. The It was a good hit, not a perfect hit. So it wasn't a, it wasn't a phenomenal blood trail. Up and it, down. So up and down, it was good. Yeah. We find, was, yeah. What do you think? 14 I mean, inches back? Yeah. That that sounds about right. The truth is, I don't remember exactly. It hit his liver. I think the liver is what yeah. killed him. Yeah, and I'm in total what three hundred yards he went, something like he that. Didn't really, go that far. two probably two hundred and fifty. Yeah. yeah, it wasn't that long. It just, it was a spotty blood trail. We'd we'd lose it, hunt for a while. You anybody's hunted deer very long knows what we're talking about. And it was you. You came out with Mickey, who's your yep. brother-in-law. Mickey came with me, and then Marianne came out there and. uh I was like, because, you know, we, I'd been in there in the evenings in the trailer, man, just watching, like, real tree videos. I was like, just look for a white belly. Like, I, yeah. I just knew that from watching yeah. videos. Like, oh, there's a big white belly. I was like, just walk out ahead of that draw and try and find a white belly. Yep. Well, we, I think Mary Ann's the one that actually found it. I, yeah, I was, you say, you go like, you go like J.W. Oh, that's right. Ten minutes, man. The, I remember now. The, there was a little slight draw. That we were walking down, not much of one at all, down the side of this hill, and the the last thirty yards or so of blood had pointed right down this draw. So I told either you or Marianne or somebody, I was like, "Hey, just just walk down this draw, just look and keep your eyes open." And she walked about a hundred yards down mm-hmm. past where we were, and he was right there on the side of that little he had, draw. He had gone up and he had bedded down and just bled out. Mm-hmm. Uh. Yeah, and it was a cool deer, man. Yeah, he was he's a stud. I've never killed a deer that big. No uh, doubt about it. And dude, like lots of people have killed bigger deer than this man, but it was just kind of you know, it happened fairly quickly after like getting a bow. Uh and dude, we had been on deer like we'd been there that chunk of public ground mm-hmm. down there south of here. Mm-hmm. Uh and we had been on deer then. Like it it had been <laughs> Quick, yeah. We're not te- we're not telling all that. We're not telling all the stories. Uh, I messed him over, y'all. I messed him over. Uh, but it just kind of like it, you know what actually happened was I had enough encounters and enough success from the beginning. I mean, I would not have. I, I can tell you right now, man. I would not have. You you know who's calling. Uh, you know who's calling yeah the same person used to bother me when i lived at the trailer man. <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah i wouldn't have held out for nine years and not having any success and i just like had success admittedly very very quickly like i picked up on stuff kind of quick but i had i had a big advantage because i like i killed that deer 250 yards from the trailer mm-hmm. right uh 
Like I wasn't far from my house. I woke up late that day and I, I was, I was climbing a tree when the sun was coming up. You know, I thought it was all over. And then I grunted that deer in. that deer came in. He like stopped, beat up a tree. It was like stuff. People wait 20 you won years the lottery, to see. man. Came in, beat up a tree, yep. stuck his legs together, peed down the back of his legs and like did this little weird shutter thing and like stomped the ground and then turned broadside to me and he was 12 yards away from me and i shot him and then he like i remember so distinctly when he ran off it sounded like a horse like just the hooves were so intense uh but yeah man i mean there was a tremendous amount of luck i'm trying to november 7th yeah it was november 7th uh so just kind of perfectly hit the rut right there just lots of stuff but it also taught me some real lessons which is like you have to go. Yeah. Right? Stuff doesn't have if you're waiting for everything to be perfect, it's like having kids. If you wait for the perfect time, you'll never have kids. If you wait for the perfect time for everything to work out hunting, it'll never happen. And honestly, what I've seen in the last 12, 13 years is it's really cool and validating to put a plan together and it work. Mm-hmm. But what's better is for grit and endurance you earned to get it then. you over the hump, you know, to where yep. you can kind of intersect or like hit luck in the face. Uh, that feels way better than just winning all the time. And that's part of what's so much fun about a limited ducks. Yeah. They don't come around very often. And by golly, when you get one, you worked for him. I mean, here, uh, here, that's the case. You know what's crazy, man, is like, <laughs> there's places where it's not near as oh yeah near as contentious. My buddies in Fayetteville just got back from Argentina. They killed 1,200 ducks in nine days or something like that. Yeah. I don't know even know what to do with that, man. That's, that's what I see, too. I mean, like, at what point, you know all their shoulders are hurting. Like, what? Well, you can't bring a single one of those birds back. Like, at, I, I, I knew a guy one time that, that would hunt every day of Arkansas season. Every day. It was, it was a very serious point of pride with him to be a 60-day duck hunter. And then he would pack up and he would go to South America and hunt almost every day of their duck season with no limits down there, shooting cases of shells every day. And ended up with an Argentinian kid, though, didn't at, he? At what point <laughs> do you just get tired of killing ducks? I mean, I love killing ducks, and I cannot imagine doing all that I mean, for more than a few days and being okay. All right, seriously, let's go do something else. Well, I mean, I can just tell you personally. Don't go trout fishing for a minute. I I don't think I would do it and not be able to keep the the meat. Like, it would. I don't know. If somebody offered me a trip down there to go do it, I mean, I I talk all this shit. I, I would probably go do it. But. Yeah, I've thought about it. I really have thought about it. I don't know if I would, man. Uh And it doesn't doesn't mean that I'm – no, it doesn't. I don't know, man. I don't know. It's just something I personally I don't think I'd be all right with. And so that's probably as far as I need to take it. It wouldn't be the thing for me. But I sure would like to see that many ducks. That would be That would be amazing, man. That would be amazing. So, man, what are your – what are your plans – 
What are your plans like hunting and fishing wise? You think for the next couple of years? So like, you've you've kind of got yourself to a point where you got a, you know, you got a pretty comfortable life now, right? I mean, you and yeah. I wouldn't. No one's gonna I'm, say you're in the one percent, but like, no, you're you got all your meals I, paid for. I, I don't worry about paying my bills. Yeah, you got a house. You got you work with people you like. You got your dog, Ozzy. So what what are you thinking about like hunting and fishing wise? I. I <clears throat> I work too dadgum much to do a whole lot of it anymore. I've done pitiful little fishing this year, but I I was just just like I was discussing a little bit earlier the last couple of weeks. I've been thinking about getting serious about getting myself an early season bow set up going this year. Putting putting some time in right now. To go go out. I mean, I've already got the spots, but they need work. Mm-hmm. I, I gotta I gotta make them a a, a hunting spot <clears throat> and. I I don't know the the ducks. I'll go duck hunting a few times this year, but it's a heartbreak. A lot sometimes. of my thunder's been taken away with the ducks. The I, you know, like the last several years, try to make an effort to get a couple of goose hunts in. I, you know, got a couple of opportunities there. We'll we'll see what we yeah, can make of them. Me and them speckle bellies ain't hurt your waterfowl hunting at all, has it? No, <laughs> no. Those are good, man. Those are that's why I focus on them, man, because those are cool, yeah, interactive, productive yeah. hunts. And I, you know, one of the things that I've always enjoyed about waterfowl hunting is the calling, and so learning to call specs, just you know, learning a new trick, I've enjoyed that a lot. Learning mm-hmm. to call Canada's, learning to run a short read Canada goose call, like I'm. It's different. That's been pretty fun. It's different, man. Oh yeah, yeah. very different and presentation I, hey, that, there. Learning to blow that short read goose call unquestionably made me a better duck caller. How so? The uh, the way you make the cluck with the short read goose call by using the back of your tongue, hitting the hitting the roof of your mouth with the back of your tongue. Mm-hmm. So you may not realize it, but that the back of your tongue is that's your tone control on a duck call. The lower in that tongue, creating a larger cavity between the back of your tongue and the roof of your mouth, lowers the tone of that duck call. Mashing it up there, up high, make raising it up, shrinking that cavity, gives you a much higher tone on your duck call. And I wasn't much able to control that stuff before learning the short read goose call. But afterwards... And I sound like two completely different ducks on the same call right behind each other. And it's just making that chamber with the very back of your tongue, at the back of your throat. You know, the short read goose call was all, do you know the history of it? No, not really. So like this thing here, this is a PSL uh, A50. Okay. It's a, it's probably like the most ubiquitous honker flute. Okay. That's ever been on the market, right? And the, there was, like, a handful of guys, like, competition guys. Uh, and they'd go in here, and they'd cut this barrel down. And they'd modify this. And that's, like, where short – like, they'd start doing that in the 80s. Okay. And that's where, like, short read calls came from. Uh, same way that, like, PSO mm-hmm. – uh, Cut downs. Cut downs, D2s for cut downs. Or then these jokers uh, – these uh, these fox coyote calls, these T20, mm-hmm. T20s, man, they uh, 
You know, that's where, like basically where all the spec calls came off of, right? These are half inch. Well, you're, you're blowing what, those elites? Mm-hmm. That's like a five eighths, I think. Uh, just a bigger diameter okay. gut system, right? So it's like a, a deeper tone and easier to blow. Uh, take that with you, man. Ooh. Ooh, thank you, sir. Yeah, yeah, take that with you. Try and get good on that, dude. That 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 Joker's that Joker's definitely uh, an acquired taste compared to like a big gut system. Break, oh, now I'm intrigued. I want to go play right now. You can't break the way you like to break your call where you put your finger in front of the end yeah. of the barrel. You yeah. can't do it with that because it's too small. You gotta you gotta do back pressure with. You this. gotta break your. Yeah. I break it against the palm of my hand right there. Uh, okay. So like I I extend. You got the, it like that. I got it like this. So I got it like that, and I'm extending the barrel length with my hand, and then I'm breaking it at the end. Okay. I got you. But anyway, yeah, so this. Sorry, I, we took a left turn it out. No, no, you're there. fine, man. You're fine, dude. This is, the whole podcast is a ramble. But yeah, I really wanted folks just to get, like, acquainted with Nate. Because I'd even say, like, nowadays, man, like, I'm so busy, and you kind of have, like, a. For so many years, like, we didn't have, I'm talking yeah. about, like, well into our 30s. We didn't have yeah. uh, bank accounts. We didn't have all of our, we'd work and we'd go, like, cash our checks at the bank and get cut from. <laughs> and we'd have to send Nate in because they always charged me a check cashing fee. And Nate would use his privilege to save us <laughs> that $5 and we were broke enough that 5 mattered, <laughs> you know. Uh, but, like, for so long, you know, we were we were living pretty rogue, right? And so, like, now you've got, like, a. Like, you know, you get, like, a steady paycheck and get benefits and all that stuff, right? And I'm, like, traveling all the time. So, like, we don't really – what did we hunt together last year? Two days? Two yeah. spec hunts probably? Yeah. And I don't think I've even seen you since January, right? So – Well, let's talk about it, but it's yeah, hard yeah. to find time. Well, and then you change your phone number and you don't tell anybody. <laughs> I, about once a year I have to track somebody. I track either this dude Westdown or Nate's sister, and I'm like, is Nate dead? Uh has Ozzy eaten him? Yeah, he's got this dog, and I just feel like Nate's going to die in his sleep, and his dog's going to eat him. <laughs> so I, I don't hear from Nate for, like, months. And He'll eat I, for a while. It'll be okay. <laughs> then I got to track him down. Uh, but, yeah, man, I don't know. I think this year's going to be weird. You know, I got that kid coming, and but there'll definitely be some waterfowling we should get on. Uh, but, yeah, I just wanted folks to kind of get acquainted with Nate because even though – He's not someone you'd like see around me a ton, ton these days. Like he's, I mean, admittedly one of the more influential forces in, in my adult life. Right. And like really helped steer me down this, uh, this path where I could kind of like wallow out my own niche, you know, and like continuing to do so. So, uh, there's no place normally at the end of the podcast. I'm like, where can people find you and reach out to you? There's no place you can reach out to find Nate, right? <laughs> His friends can't even find him most of the time. He doesn't have social media. He, if you see him at McSwain's getting gasoline or buying chicken fingers, he'll talk to you for 30 minutes. But uh, this is this this is just a an entity that that floats and appears. He's like a lightning bug. And sometimes he's there and sometimes he's not. And occasionally you can, you can catch him, but he'll find a way out. I, yeah. Nate. <laughs> Sounds right to me. Nate, the lightning bug. All right. Well, uh, Nate, thanks for coming over. Marianne's working on her, her fly fishing and Nate's been over and, here giving her casting uh, lessons. I got, I got a new prodigy. 
Yeah, you can have that, man. I got. I'm gonna get you out there too. I just, man, I don't have time for it right now, I and know. I. Uh, you you will. I'm not. I'm not told. I used to be like very against it. Uh, you know what it was? I was I was like, man, this is like some uppity elitist stuff. Oh, but, it can be if but, that's what you want to make. But of now it. I'm like, I'm duck hunting wearing Sitka gear. Like, <laughs> what sort of soapbox am I going to be on? Well, I mean, <laughs> when back when I started fly fishing, my buddies and I, I mean, we made fun of those guys. We do the literally. So Marianne's, we're in the office, and Marianne's phone runs through this computer. I guess. And it's, I'm looking at who's calling. It's just like, dude, you know what I did, man? I'll tell you this real quick, then I'll get off this podcast. So uh, my oldest kid at her school, her best friend is one of the instructors, right? And then that person and Marianne have become real good friends, right? So sometimes they'll have these sleepovers. Uh, like if I got a, like the other week I was, taking these, these folks from a film crew out like on a fishing trip for the weekend, right? So I was gone, right? So they had like a little sleepover. They all hang out, have a good time, right? I come home and I look there in the spare bedroom. Uh, there's a wig on the end table, right? And I was like, did she leave her wig here? And Marianne's like, yeah. And she, you know, I guess she changed wigs or whatever, right? And so anyway, when I take the kids to school on Monday, I put that wig in a box and I put my phone in there, and I put bear sounds on YouTube. <laughs> and I go in there, I go in there, and like the the cafeteria lady, she's like, "What is that? What is that?" And I was like, "Oh, it's, it's all right, it's all right," because they all know I'm like outside in the woods doing stuff. And so I like call all the teachers around and all the kids, and I was like, "Hey, I got something when I was out guiding this weekend," and it's like growling and stuff. <laughs> That's awesome. And then I That's it, awesome. I opened it up and it was her wig, man. And she was she was hot, buddy. She was hot. <laughs> she didn't think it was funny, did she? Hey, man. I thought it was hilarious, man. I, I did too. I had tears in my eyes. I got man. a solid chuckle out of I it. Tear. I was like falling all over the slide outside, just tears in my eyes. Uh, and then the other teacher's like, "You play too much." I'm just trying to have a little fun, lady. I did. And then you know what? And then later on, I'm in here talking to Marianne, and. Her phone FaceTime rings, and it's that. She, she as soon as Marianne answers, she goes, "Your husband's an asshole." <laughs> <laughs> that no good scoundrel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then Marianne just points the phone at me. I said, "That's why I did it because I know you up here talking trash." All right. Uh, so yeah, this this podcast has just been. I I really enjoy occasionally just having folks in that uh, I have like very deep personal relationships with, and it's. You know, it's weird because there's like so much of what I'm doing now is like people listening to me or people looking at me and it's like, you know, like, I mean, you know, it's like kind of been like an uncomfortable, there's been some growing pains in it for me. Right. Uh, and when you're doing that, you know, you just kind of naturally want to put your best foot forward, but you know, I, I come out of this like DIY kind of punk rock sensibility. And it, it is important to me to, I mean, I'm not trying to put all my business out there. Like I don't post pictures of my kids or anything like that, but I, podcasts like this are, are cool. I think because it, it very much is evocative of what I'm really like, you know, for better or worse. And 
I mean, me and Nate have me and Nate have existed at the pinnacle of better. <laughs> the, I mean, we've we've been building decks in people's backyards. I remember throwing a saw across the yard one. Yeah, time. yeah. Trying not the fact that we never got. In a, I think the fact that we never got to fisticuffs is is proof of how good of friends we are. I agree. Because we, I mean, we've been. Yeah. You know what I'm thinking? I'm thinking about Conway. Oh, yeah. That backyard in Conway, dude. Oh, yeah. It was like almost the end of Nate and Jonathan. <laughs> Been damn close a couple of times. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure, man. But, uh, yeah, dude, absolute fantastic mentor. Like I said, uh, changed the trajectory of my life in many ways. And uh, Happy to do it. Yeah, hopefully I do can. Do it again tomorrow if I could. Hopefully I can keep you on some, I'll find some good hunts, one. man. No doubt. Uh, yeah, I'll tell you about it off air, man, but I locked up some, some good stuff for Specs this year. So, all right, folks, well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Hey, thank you for sticking all the way through and listening to this episode of the Black Duck Revival podcast. As always, it's produced by me, Jonathan Wilkins, and Brian Sachs. If you want to keep up with me, Instagram, you know, I'm always over there. I kind of wax and wane and take, a, take little breaks occasionally, but we're firing up the content also, the website is always available, blackduckrevival.com, and I've got a host of new recipes to start posting up there on a weekly basis, so that will be soon to be new and improved, and I wanted to go ahead and tell you a little, about, little bit about what's happening this coming winter and fall, uh, if you're making plans for some trips, if you maybe want to get out to Black Duck Revival and do something that's not just hunting. Uh, or not so hunting centric, but you're still interested in, you know, learning some skills and really kind of engaging in your capability. I think we've got a, a cool schedule coming together for this fall and winter. These dates will go live this Friday. So what date is that? That would be July 22nd. I'll start putting these dates up live. The waterfowl dates will go live first. And right now I'm just still gonna release those first two dates. It's November 4th, 5th, and 6th for Speckle Belly Geese. Also December 30th, 31st, and January 1st for Speckle Belly Geese. We are gonna have a, a few more hunts in November, but I have kind of settled on the, settled on the fact that uh, my commercial hunts will be mostly in the month of November just to allow me to take some family time in December. So if you're itching to come down and hunt and get your spot, we're doing just like last year. I'm capping these hunts at five people. So spots should go pretty quickly, I'd assume. Uh, and then as soon as I've got those other ones confirmed, I will put those on the website as well. We're going to have uh, some cooking classes coming this fall as well. I'm going to be, uh, I'll do some kind of solo stuff possibly, but I'm definitely got some really great guests coming through. We'll do some cooking workshop weekends, focusing on uh, methods and methodologies that complement uh, each other. So uh, I don't think this, I don't think I'm putting out too much information too early, but I was just talking to my friend Martin Phillip, who's been on the podcast uh, on Instagram. He's Breadright. And I think we are going to do a class in either late October or sometime in November. It'll be a cooking workshop weekend. You'll get to work with one of the best bakers in the country, like legitimately one of the best bakers and most well-respected bakers in the country. Uh, and then we'll, we'll kind of pair that uh, with discussing and working through very local foods. Uh, we were talking about making acorn flour. We'll do a lot of cooking with fire, so we'll be outside on direct heat pits. We'll be doing like some kind of Texas 
style barbecue with uh, the offset smoker. We're going to do a lot of very southern, very rustic, but incredibly highly executed food that I think is just really just going to be super fun, super informative, and really a delight to be a part of. So that specific date will come out in the coming weeks, but I want you to look forward to that. Also in October, we're going to have a uh, just a one-day deer processing class for folks that uh, have started hunting or they've always taken their, their animals to a processor. We'll work through an entire animal, different cuts, uh, preservation techniques. We'll talk about jerky. We'll talk about uh, and do some sausage demos. We'll do uh, uh, like primal cuts. We'll, we'll work it all down so that if you go and say you bought a, a sheep or a lamb or you got a deer out in the woods, you'd be able to work that thing all the way down and put it into your freezer. And then, oh, this is going to be cool as well. Uh, in January, I'm going to be back in California with Rue Map from Outdoor Afro. And I will be uh, doing some cooking and cooking instruction and uh, talking about the history of black hunters uh, at the second Black Heritage Hunt. That's going to be at Birdhaven. If you don't know what Birdhaven is, I suggest you Google it. It's, it's kind of a mind-blowing waterfowl hunting uh, experience that I'm so looking forward to there in uh, California and those dates will be January 19th through 2020 no sorry January 19th through the 22nd 2023 so uh, tell a friend tell an enemy tell an acquaintance about the podcast please leave a five-star review or a written review they both help tremendously and we'll be back next week with another podcast thanks so much <laughs>